0: Welcome to episode 26 of the Rex Chapman Show with Josh Hopkins um, Episode Not 26, super cool. Josh Not Super, cool, super, super cool. cool, no, super cool, super bearded Super bearded Super yeah. My man's shooting a movie coming up I'm so proud of you, buddy yeah, Thank so you, proud of you. Thank Can't you wait now. till you get back on the horse <laughs> <laughs> oh um yeah 26 any famous 26 as we know episode 26 kyle Corver wow good one anybody else you i know, know i know we're missing uh, spencer oh, wow. Denwitty. wow that's those are the only two i know when i try and
1: remember you know i, I remember numbers and stuff by players and it's like oh yeah bo jackson mm-hmm. you know, jordan in the olympics Save. uh With 26, I usually go, that's ESPN because when you first (laughs) got cable, that's right. It was channel 26. 26. ESPN. So still to this day I'm like, oh, it's a locker 26. ESPN. I got the ESPN locker.
0: Forgot about that. Forgot all about it. Um NBA training camps started up. I actually am in, in Phoenix and went to the Suns training camp this morning. They look they look excellent. They look uh, like a deep team, maybe the deep, deepest team in the NBA. Uh, look pl- plenty scary. Uh, that being Anybody said.
1: Anybody come in a little chubby?
0: Nope. Not a, not a soul. Um, yeah. uh, but I do, you know, got some vaccination news in the league. Some guys have been sounding off. I thought Dame Lillard came out yesterday. Couldn't have been more proud of that guy's message. Uh, Robin, Robin Lopez as well. Uh, and then we've had some other guys that were kind of on the other side of things. So mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a be a topic here for a little while anyway. Um,
1: it's standoff, you know, yeah. for sure. And, and it's obviously a polarizing subject. So we're going to hear about that for a, for a while.
0: I think we will, too. Uh, and then we also have Ben Simmons, not in camp, not mm-hmm. he says he's not coming to camp wants nothing more to do with the Sixers. Um, I guess Daryl Maury and Doc have both said they're optimistic that, you know, they could, something can be resolved. I'm not that optimistic about it.
1: Yeah, I'm not either. I saw Doc on um, an interview and, you know, he's he's just such an intelligent and, and great orator. You could see how he could talk to him and say, hey, man, we, we're going to do this and that and this. And I'm sorry, uh, it's come out public in this way and i think part of it's you know been it's just been feelings are hurt they were shopping him everyone's Mm -hmm. talked about it and uh i understand but you know when push comes to shove and you start losing that money Mm -hmm. and and, um maybe i don't know he's i don't know what's going to happen and and i i hope he plays somewhere
0: i do too i hope it's not one of these standoffs where it's just uh you know uh Billionaire, millionaire, and nobody really is going to win that one. Well, the billionaire is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's play
1: big bank, take little.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I do hope. I, I feel like the Philly ship has sailed for Ben. And look, it's not Philly's not for everybody. And I'm a Ben Simmons fan. Yes, he's got a, a, a issue shooting the ball and with his confidence and all of that. Other than that, he has no holes in his game. He's arguably the best defender pound for pound in the NBA. Um, and then the fact that he's a point guard is, is just insane. So I, I just want to watch him play ball. And if that needs to be somewhere else, let it be somewhere else.
1: He's a spec. It's not just like he's a point guard because he can, you know, dribble and faci- mm-hmm. he's a special passer,
0: special he's passer, special athlete. Next, Yeah. You know, he he's really long. He, he's, he's big. He's a, he's a guy that I like, as a fan, I would go pay to watch Ben Simmons play, right. even though, you know, he's not a shooter. He's not any, he does a lot of the, the things that I, he checks a lot of boxes for me with, you know, things that I like to see out of a basketball player. So, so I, I just,
1: much so, of that has to be mental. There has to be yeah. an aspect that, that that can be worked on and
0: fixed It's You know, but still it's just, young, man. He's still you know, so young. Knob-lock, you know, yep. just the,
1: the, and, that would be so hard to be out there and be like an all star caliber player. And the
0: one thing you can't do is shoot.
1: Yeah. But again, you know, like, still
0: young, man. He's still young. You know. Yeah. yeah know, These rude. guys, we talked about it. Yeah. Uh, got a great guest today. John. Oh, did
1: you read anything this week?
0: Oh, uh, the book club. I, you know, I didn't get around it. I, I didn't get anything this week, buddy. Did you?
1: Uh, well,
0: I actually read
1: something. Oh, that was a TV guide. No, ah. I didn't. That's been booked. Right. Okay. Um we got yeah. this
0: week. we've got Stan Van Gundy.
1: <laughs>
0: Stan Van Gundy. Stan and I go way back. He was a uh, uh just was when brushing up on him recently and uh it dawned on me that his rookie year in the NBA as a coach was the year I was traded to Miami. So we spent one year together. It was Stan's rookie year in the league. And one of the best years that I had uh, learning the game of basketball. Stan's a good man, and I think you're going to enjoy talking to him. Let's get to it. Stanley Allen Van Gundy. Welcome, Stan. Welcome, Coach.
2: Wow, usually when my full name gets used, it was my mom. You know know this. Most kids know (laughs) this. And you're in big trouble at that point. That's like, right. Absolutely. Not ever said in a good way. If you get the full name, you screwed up big time, and you're in trouble.
0: <laughs> Very true. You know, uh, yeah, I think you're our—he's fir- our first coach, right, Josh? What? He's our first coach on the show. No, we had Rick.
1: Yeah, we've had—we've
0: had. Well, sure. we've had a couple, but but normally we have coaches who aren't fired. I like my coaches not <laughs> normally fired. <laughs> that's how I like my coaches non-fired coaches
2: oh, man, you're, I've been fired four times so I'm at the other extreme you know, I, I said to my brother right away when it happened I said how many people have been fired four times that you know and, and twice twice at University of Wisconsin and at New Orleans in one year you know how much they have to hate you." To fire you in one year. Like, that's no easy accomplishment. I only had seven months and I got them to hate me so much. They fired me in seven months. That's just not easy.
0: If you tried to do it, you probably could. No,
2: exactly. I mean, at least in, De- in Orlando and in Detroit, it took them five years and four years before they said enough of this, dude. You know? Um, so those are, those are big accomplishments
0: yeah but you know you both you and Skiles you have a shelf life right you got a shelf life and it, <laughs> you maybe. Yes, I
2: didn't even get put up on the shelf this year that's not a shelf life I mean, that's, like, <laughs> that's like the package came you didn't even open it and put it up on the shelf yet before they got rid of me so you know hell
0: Oh, and man. I'll tell you
2: that's... this, though. If you want to put me in the boat with Scott Skiles, I got no problem being there. That would be an honor for me. Um, you know, there's not very many people in the game uh, that I have greater respect for than uh, than Scott, as a player or a coach. I mean, you're and me both. just a human being. Totally honest guy up front. Um, yeah, I mean – I've never uh, been in the same sense. You are. Or you guys remind me a lot of each other. i be there with him.
0: You guys remind me a lot of each other. Um, and I don't know if I ever told you this. But Scott, was. we were playing together at the time in Washington. He coached me at the end of my career, which was hilarious. But um, we were playing in Washington, and it was right around the time that teams were getting their own planes. Well, we didn't have that, that in Washington. Uh, with Abe Poland's bullets. We were flying, but we were flying on big commercial planes, you know, where you'd have three and four rows to yourself. And we have been on a West Coast trip, and I'm fly- we're flying back East, and it, it we had a hard-fought game. And I go back, there's no lights on on the plane. Everybody's asleep. But back in one little section, lights are on. I go back there, and Skiles, it's, he's got this Ratty looks like a binder from eighth grade. And it's got notes and stats and all kinds of and he's back there and he's got his pen and he's doing like this. I said, dude, what are you doing? He looked at me and goes, I'm gonna be a coach, man. And I I kind of just kept on walking, but that was his whole mission. And he'd been keeping those, that notebook since probably middle school or high school. Just amazing. One of the best. Yeah. And I'm, I want to tell you this before we get going. I want to tell you um, I, I guess I'd forgotten that your rookie year in the league would have been the year that we spent together in Miami.
3: Yep.
0: Well, I, I just got to tell you you're one of my favorite coaches ever. Uh, it was one of the best experiences I, I, you know we were only together for a year but I learned more in that year of basketball than I had in, in probably since college, just technically. And it was, a, it was an unbelievable uh, experience. And I'm thrilled that we've remained friends all these years. You're a terrific coach. And I do. I, I liken you to Skiles all the time.
2: It was that for me, too. It was a great education for me. I'd been 14 years in college. But the NBA game was um, intimidating to me, to say the least. Um, and I learned a lot, obviously, from Pat Riley. I mean, obviously, you learned a lot. But I've said this all along, I've learned more from players in the league even than I have from coaches because, wow. you know, guys who have played a long time, you know, I mean, you don't go a long time in this league and have success just on athletic ability and even skill. I mean, yeah. you, you have to have a mind for the game. And, you know, being able to listen, you know, to veteran guys that year taught me so much on, on how the game had been played. And I I remember, you know, when we got Tim Hardaway and, you know, I mean, Timmy just took my understanding of how to run a pick and roll, how to teach a pick and roll to a whole new level. I mean, I'd had it explained from a coaching standpoint, but for a guy of that talent to, and here's, what I, here's how I set my guy up. And when I come off the pick, here are my reads. I mean, I, I've learned so much from players over the years. And certainly that first year was, you know, it was all new. So I learned a lot from that entire group, plus had some good times. That was yeah. a good, some good sense of humor. And yeah. I've said many times, your game against the Bulls, that's <laughs> still – I was in the league for a long time as a head coach and an assistant. I've said this many times when you weren't around. That's the most memorable game to me that I've ever been a part of because the Bulls were so good, you know, so good. And we had just made the trades. I mean, we didn't have anybody. We didn't have anybody. Seven guys. Tony yeah. Smith came in, didn't even have a walkthrough with us, and played the entire game at the point.
3: Yeah.
0: You know,
2: you played Jeff Malone, who we took off of ice. That yeah. He played all year, played and had like 16 points.
0: Vashawn Leonard, he- Leonard came in. Vashawn Leonard came in, made a couple of buckets.
2: But you were just making everything. Yeah. And I remember Scotty Robertson, you know, in the second quarter of that game, when you'd made a couple in a row, he said, now if the stars are aligned tonight, there's no way we're losing this. I <laughs> mean the whole crowd was bowing down to you. Look, I, I mean, that uh-huh. was a long, long uh-huh. time ago. It was. And I'll never I'll yeah. never
1: forget that game. It was just amazing.
0: You know, I, I
1: was that the game that you came home and Zeke asked you to Tell
0: that story to him. Yeah, well, I came home after that game that night and I'd gone, Zeke, my son, who's, you know, 28 now, he, he, I left the house and he had a Jordan uniform on, you know, he's three, <laughs> he's three, I get back from the game and go in and wake him up and I pull him out of his, you know, bed and we go downstairs and watching TV and, and he goes, uh looks at the TV and it dawns on him, he and he says, you played the Bulls. And I said, yeah. He said, did you win? I said, yep. And he took off running back upstairs and went to bed crying. <laughs> he was upset that we won. <laughs> Meet Michael's team. <laughs>
2: hey, I also remember that year. I mean, I know we don't want to just go down memory lane, yeah. me and you. I remember late in the year, we were playing in Charlotte. It might, might have been the last game of the year. But we had to win to get into the playoffs. Oh, that's right. And I remember coming out of the locker room, and you said to me, Stan, this is the first important NBA game I've ever played in. I'll I'll never forget that.
0: Man, I can't believe you remember that. Yeah, it was Charlotte or Milwaukee. That's my recollection. And we we did have to win to get in to be 41 and 41. And I'd never been on a team in the NBA that had won more than like 25 games. So that was huge. that was huge. And then how bad did the Bulls beat us in three? <laughs> like a JV team, right?
2: Yeah, they, they were pretty good at that time.
0: <laughs> they weren't they bad.
2: Were, yeah, they weren't bad. and uh, But nonetheless, you know, I think sometimes, you know, years like that sort of get lost in the history of things. But if if you look at, what happened to the Miami Heat over the years? And it took them a long time. I mean, Pat was there a long time before he got a championship, but this thing they now almost nauseatingly refer to as heat culture. <laughs> I mean, it gets to be a little much, but it started in that year. It really uh-huh. did. It started in that year where there started to be some real pride around that.
0: Well, you know, not you're exactly right. And and then you get. I'd go back to that year. I'd get a, a literal DVD slipped under my hotel room door that would go. And that meant Eric Spolstra had left me a DVD to watch on all my screw ups for the day, for the game. Now coaching the team. Amazing. Right. And
2: we used to do the same thing with, um, with scouting reports, slide them under the door. Yep.
0: Yep. You
3: know?
2: And so I had to do that. And then, you know, you can relate to this, but you know, you, you go to a couple of doors every time and you can't get it under the door because the towel's under the door. <laughs> and, then you, and then you go to guys and like, yo, oh, man, like, I got to, you know, the towel. Oh, yeah, no, I don't know what happened. You know, I don't know what happened. I'm like, listen, like, I know, I know I'm know, i some suburban white guy, but I ain't stupid so i know what happened and you know yeah. what happened just let me i said i just don't want to get in trouble i got to get the report to you that's the whole but i don't know why the towel was under the door really i could think of a reason that was great that went on for years the whole time i worked for pat that's how we did scout uh, reports yep. We always have those guys you know and it just got to be a joke like yeah you and, know
0: hey where how did you i mean at what age did you know you were just eating up with basketball? And how, how many fights did you and Jeff get in, you know, just in the backyard growing up playing, playing hoops?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I wanted, to, I wanted to coach probably from the time I was in about the eighth grade, you know. Um, and your
0: dad was a coach.
2: My dad was a coach like yours. So I'd grown right. up around it, but I really wanted to be, you know, when I was a young kid, I really wanted to be a baseball player. And uh, baseball's really good in California. And so yeah. summer after my seventh grade year, I'm playing Pony League baseball, and I hit, I hit under 100 <laughs> and struck out in over half of my at-bats. And I realized, like, this is probably not going far. Forget, the, forget making it to the major leagues. This ain't going to high school in this town. And so I'll just concentrate on basketball. The good thing about having a dad as a coach is even though I was good in, in my league and everything else, I was aware of the bigger world of basketball. I knew I wasn't going anywhere as a player. I mean, 5'8", slow, can't jump, not a, not a solid combination, it's a lot of um,
1: moxie though. A lot of moxie. Yeah, there you
2: go. But moxie will only take you so far. <laughs> and so I said, you know, I, I know I want to, I want to coach. I mean, I'll take the playing as far as I can. Um, but there was always a, a mindset to coach from there. And yeah, Jeff and I, I mean, probably like all brothers, a lot of, uh, a lot of wars and battles. And
0: When did he get to the age he was as good as you were or or where he gave you, because like, there was, what, three years a- different?
2: Yeah, I was three years ahead of him in school. I'm like two and a half years older. And um, really, like, through hi- my high school, I could still, you know, handle him. I was a senior. He was a freshman. And right. he was, you know, small and skinny. And I could handle him pretty good. And as a matter of fact, the only time we ever played together was in summer league in high school. and. I remember one night, you know, we had played, we won a game and we come back. And I mean, this is an age, like this is 1976. So, you know, it's still the phone on the wall. There's no cell phone yeah, or anything. Yeah. Well, later that night, I come out of the shower and my brother's on the phone. And I don't know who he's talking to at the time. It ended up being uh, one of my grandfathers. And he said, yeah, yeah, we won. And he must have asked, well, how'd you guys do? And he said, yeah, we combined for 30. Well, I had 28. He had one bucket. So, so we combined for 30. But by the time we got to his junior year in high school, senior year in high school, he was he was pretty clearly a, uh, a better player. I mean, he was a really good you know, small college division three player. I was true high
0: true high point high guard. Level. He was a yeah, point very guard.
2: Very much and very much a a pass first. I mean, I was a better scorer, but probably just if you throw it up there enough times, the ball's gotta go in some. I remember <laughs> my dad <laughs> I, where I was in high school. I mean, I remember my dad could rarely come to a game. I don't know if that was your Same. experience, Same. Too, yeah. right? But they had their own thing going on. But on Tuesday afternoons, we would play at 3.30 in the afternoon. So my dad had, the day, had a day off. He's at one of my games. We play. I think it's my sophomore year in high school. Terrible team. But I scored a bunch of points. Thought I played really well. I get in the car. My dad looks over at me. He says, I hate watching you play. <laughs> I said, yeah, okay. well." There you go. Like he said, pass the ball, son pass the ball i was like okay yeah so man. where we were and then he got <laughs> jeff who, who would only pass the ball my dad would be saying man you've got to shoot the ball when you're open <laughs> like he couldn't
1: make up his mind were you guys more competitive you and jeff at basketball or talking because you both <laughs> sure can talk you both sure can win arguments we've watched it on the air
2: yeah he's um I'll tell you where we were most competitive growing up was playing uh ping pong
1: oh.
2: and he would win all the time. And he would just piss me off because <laughs> you ever play those guys. Like he would never try to hit a winner. Never, never <laughs> just gonna put the ball back, put the ball back, put the ball back. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and so, I don't have his patience. And I think people have seen us both coach understand that too. I don't have his patience. So we go back and forth. You've hit the ball like 10 times. I'm like, to hell with this. And I'm trying to hit one down his throat and I would miss. And he would end up winning all the time and like never hit a winner. Never. 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 Yeah, Never. That's, like, that's just,
1: that's just, a little battle of attrition ping pong like, yeah, let, exactly. let him mess up let him mess up let and him then
2: i up. would get pissed off and we'd get into arguments and it was all because i couldn't take losing to him especially the way <laughs> i lost like, those are those are my memories with him so
0: that's great that's uh, so good hey um so switch gears for a second uh what's gonna happen this year uh we, right now, we've seen the last couple of days, guys talking about the vaccine and uh, getting vaccinated in the NBA. And I know I'm sure you have an opinion on it, on it all. And you've seen some of the uh, guys who've come out and been a proponent for getting vaccinated. A few others who've come out and, and said it's pretty much none of anybody's business. Um, what are your opi- what's your opinion and what do you, where do you see this going with the league right now?
2: Well, I mean, I, I think it's sort of out of the league's hands as far as guys playing or not playing. I mean, they're going to put restrictions on what guys can do off the floor for guys aren't vaccinated. But it's the cities, San Francisco and New York. I don't see them backing down. I mean, once they back down on professional athletes, then they've just got to back down on everything. Look, I've never... I just don't think you can look at this as a personal decision. I just don't, you know, um, and people may have their own reasons and, and everything else. I certainly understand with a lot of black people, traditionally not being able to trust the government, particularly in medical issues when we used to experiment on people with
3: yep.
2: their knowledge. And, and so that's a generational thing, but nonetheless, It's not a personal decision. It affects other people for all of us. But for them right now, it also affects their teams, you know, particularly in San Francisco and with the two New York teams. So when there's a threat, like I watched Kyrie's interview yesterday, when there's a threat that, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to miss 41 home games. Well, it's not a personal decision. You're affecting a lot of guys on your own team. And, and I thought the best comment, it was not made about Kyrie Irving, but the best comment I heard all day yesterday and um, watching those press conferences and things was James Harden had made a basketball comment um, about being selfless. And Stephanie Reddy said, there's not a lot of selflessness in this league. And he said, there's not a lot of selflessness in this world. And I think that stuck with me all day today. And I think it's really true. I, I think our parents' generation was, was better with that stuff. Now everything's about what's best for me. And I don't think that our parents necessarily thought like that. I do think they had more of you make sacrifices, not just for your family, but for the community and the country. And there's a collective responsibility here. Now, they weren't great on everything. We've made progress in terms of human rights and racial equality and LGBTQ equality. So I'm not holding them up as a perfect generation by any means. But economically, I thought they stood for a little bit fairer society. And now, I just don't know if we don't take care of each other. And this, this whole idea all along from everybody on this vaccine thing is it's a personal decision no it's not it affects other people it's not and I the best comments on it have been Kareem's I mean yeah, you know, Kareem's man. a smart dude anyway and you know he said today you know like let's just acknowledge if these guys don't want to get vaccinated they're not team players I mean that's yeah. just the way it is and, and they basically said that themselves when you say it's a personal decision if you're Kyrie Irving or Andrew Wiggins you're, you're denying the fact that it affects those other guys on your team.
1: He said it so succinctly. I looked it up. Where I he said, there's no room for players who are willing to risk the health and lives of their teammates, the staff, and the fans simply because they are unable to grasp the seriousness of the situation or do the necessary research. I mean, so well said and so compact and just precisely said, because I've been trying to say it, you know, to friends, argue. I'm like, you should get it because other people, and then you can't, and they have to go. Like he just so smart. He just said it that quickly. And I just think it's brilliant.
2: Well, he's a brilliant guy as all of us, you know, who've who followed his career and everything. know. I mean, he's, you know, way beyond basketball. I mean, his commentary on social stuff has been outstanding. So it's, It's no surprise that he'd be the guy to hit it most succinctly here. Exactly. Who, who,
0: who'd you grow up watching coach? Who, who'd you idolize as a player? When you think back, um, you know, as a teenager, um, watching college and pro pro ball, whatever you got to see, uh, who, who was, who did you dream of playing like?
2: You know, I. Again, I knew pretty early on, I wasn't going to play like any of those guys. So um
0: Did you like watching the most.
2: Yeah. My, my, my guy was Oscar Robertson. You know, it was my guy. And I think it, my mom's from Indianapolis too and was in high school roughly at the same time. Well, they were in high school at the same time. And her dad was a big basketball fan. And so they went to high school. And so she saw him play in, in high school and the whole thing. And so, between loving him as a player and her having seen him in high school and everything, I always followed him. And I, I think now, historically, he's become maybe the most underrated player in the game. Like when we start talking about the best players ever, we never talk yeah. about this guy. And, mm-hmm. and you, know, you look back and after five years in the league, so he's played five years, he was averaging a triple double at 30, 10 and 10, 30. I'm like 15 10, yeah. 10, you know? And I, I remember his comment, I forget Jason Kidd had hit some milestone in triple doubles. And there was a quote the next day from Oscar Robertson who said if I knew triple doubles were a thing, I would have just gotten one every game. <laughs>
1: exactly. I was going to say would. the same thing. They weren't, they yeah, they they weren't thinking about started. it. They weren't like, you need one more rebound. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, they didn't even know.
2: No, they didn't know. Like, <laughs> but what was different at that time? And I think in some ways more fun, Rex, is like, I didn't see these guys play. Yeah. You know, here's what we got in California, you know, on Saturday, At the time, it was the Pac-8. We got the Pac-8 game of the week, which was whoever UCLA was playing that week. Okay? So, I was a big UCLA fan growing up because I watched them every week. And then on Sunday, we got the NBA game of the week. And if it was a 1 o'clock game on the East Coast, which it was a lot because, you know, it was a lot of Celtics, Lakers, stuff like that, we'd watch the game at 10 o'clock in the morning and then – we'd head to an open gym um, wow. and the guys in the league would play. But so like with Oscar he was rarely on those games. My parents took me to see him play when he was older and playing for Kansas city, Omaha, wow. like back in Back those days, you know, so I could see him play. But so they grew up as you followed these guys, it was all through magazines and newspapers and they were, these larger than life characters, because you're reading stories about them. It was almost mythology. You didn't get to see them all the time. And, but when you did, oh my God, so exciting. Like I remember my dad was a high school coach at the time. My mom was a teacher. So, you know, I mean, we weren't poor by any means, but we also didn't have like a lot of extra money. And so, When you'd get those couple times a year, you could go to a game and go see the Warriors in the in the Cow mm-hmm. Palace. Oh my God, like it was huge. And so, in some ways, I don't know, it was more exciting because you couldn't flip on the TV every night and uh, an play tonight. No, yes. you, you get a chance to maybe see him on TV, an individual team, seven eight times a year, maybe. You know, yeah. I mean, and hey, look, when I was young. The NBA playoffs were on tape delay for God's sake. Yeah. You couldn't mm-hmm. even get them in in real time. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. And I don't know, in some ways I I think that was that added to my excitement about the game. Like, who are these guys? You yeah. know?
1: Yeah. Sure, I mean with all this instant gratification nowadays, which is fantastic information in a lot of ways, and we both know it's pros and cons there, but I do feel in a way for these kids that like I mean, you know, like it just when I was in junior high, I'd watch MTD all day until Thriller came on. You know, I wanted <laughs> that video. And then I'd be like, Thriller, hee hee. And then now they'd be like, oh my God, watch it 10 times and never want to watch it again. It's over. There's no the velvet rope was there for us. And yeah. now it's it's just not. And I mean, it's, I just flip through anything. I see every NBA highlight or every one where he dunks well. But yep. it, it's so easy. I don't even have to search it out.
2: No, in fact, I, you know, I was saying to my wife the other day, like my son is a huge sports fan. Every Well, not hockey as much, though. He's been in Detroit a long time now, so he started to follow it. And he knows everything going on in every pro sport. And I'll bet unless I was coaching and he was watching that, he never watches an actual game where he sits down and watches a full game. (laughs) It's just streaming and highlights and then following people's stats and everything. Like he knows everything about everybody and never sits down and watches a full game. It's just, it's different the way people consume sports now.
1: They know every, all the stats and the highlights, but they don't watch the game. That's, that's, that's today.
2: Well, and they also don't – I don't know. Like growing up, I grew up in the Bay Area. And so I was a Warriors fan. Um, I was an Oakland A's fan. I was a San Francisco 49er fan, a San Francisco Giant fan. You'd have all those. Players stuck around a little longer on one team. But I knew those teams in depth, like you followed them all. And part of it is, again, because everything wasn't on TV. So you had to absorb like sports pages and writing. And I actually knew more about people. It wasn't about all the show and the highlights and the glitz and glamour. I mean, it was reading those stories. And I'm grateful that I grew up in the sports landscape I grew up in.
0: When, when you, uh, but you guys moved from West to East at some point, right?
2: When I was going to college. So again, you know, because you're before cell phone data, right. Yeah. Um, I went away, I, I graduated from high school and I worked some basketball camps as a, you know, as a counselor. Mm-hmm. So I, I go down, I'm in Northern California and I'm working this camp as a, uh, you know, as a counselor and the whole thing. And I work the week and I, you know, I drive back home. I don't know. It's a four or five hour drive. I drive back home at the end of the week and I pull up to our house and there's a for sale sign in the front yard. Like what the hell is going on? <laughs> well, what the hell's going on? Yeah, it wasn't like mom and dad could just call you on the cell phone and tell you I'm gone <laughs> for the week. So my dad had taken a job at, at one of the state schools in New York as the head coach and the house was on the market when I came home, I'm like, what's going on? You know, house on the market. It could have been you open the door
1: and it's a family you don't recognize. 1980 or
2: 1977. And I, we moved East and I, I decided, took me a long time. I didn't decide right then. Took me a long time to come to grips with what I wanted to do, but I ended up going back East to play for him. And then my brother was still in high school and they, moved out there and the main reason I did it I know my dad would like to think is you know I just had this unbelievable desire to play for him but um it was more honestly my brother and I were really close and I didn't want to be 3,000 miles away for his last three years of uh of high school and so that's when we moved east yeah
0: how was how was that uh culturally socially all of that what was that like because I remember doing the opposite kind of going from east to west for the first time when I got in the NBA and you know it was just different and what was that like for you as a young person
2: well I will say you know it was different but and I think you probably understand this too like one of the greatest things about sports is like you have a group right away and you have you have people you have things in common with so you know, I go to college, and I don't know anybody, and I have nothing. Like I can't say, "Oh yeah, Mike friend I grew up. No, because all these kids were from New York State. Right. I, I didn't even know the places they were talking about. But but I played basketball, so you got a group right there. Built in right?
0: fraternity, right? Yeah, and my brother
2: yeah. came, same thing, into a high school, and he had a group, and so the adjustment was pretty easy. The harder part about the adjustment. Was being the coach's son playing on a team because I'd never mm. done that, yeah. you know, in high school or anything else, and um, yeah, that was tough. Did you ever play for your dad?
0: Nah, uh, no. He he coached one game in like middle school, and he really didn't say much to me. He told me before the game, he said, "Listen, I'm going to be harder on you than all the other kids," and I kind of understood. And then at one point in the game, he he got on me, and I could but I could tell that. It wasn't something I did wrong. And so he, he, he kind of braced me for it. I don't think I could have played for him based on, he, he was really like Bobby Knight. I mean, a lot of Bobby Knight qualities, uh, you know, he wasn't <laughs> didn't physically grab people and, and stuff like that, but he was old school and demanding, you know, and there was really no bullshit about it. He was gonna, it was gonna be his way and that's the way it was. He you know, was very not, good, not, though.
2: Not an easy thing. Like, my first two years playing for my dad were were really, really hard, really, really tough for me because <laughs> he was harder on me than the other people. and And I struggled with it. Looking back, it probably helped me with my teammates a little because, you know, by the time I got, like, halfway through my sophomore year, I mean, I'd have guys, like, after practice in the locker room, like, yo, man, I don't know how you do it. Like – hang in there you know you yeah. you're, you're, you're playing okay you know because he was so hard i mean I, at the time i didn't think of that that like he might be helping me i was just like jesus i mean this was terrible but my last 2 years i think i got used to it a little plus he maybe chilled out just a little and i wouldn't trade those for anything and when you really look back on it you know and you start to get to the point, I mean, my dad's 86, and you understand how wow. quick all this goes. I had four years of college where I saw him every single day, man. I, regardless of yeah. what happened on the court or anything else, that's four more years than most people have of, yeah. of seeing their parents every day. Wouldn't trade that uh, in retrospect. Didn't appreciate it enough at the time, but I do now.
0: It's beautiful. Mm. It's beautiful. Um who, who are the guys Stan that you can point to and be like, you know, I, I learned from those guys. And say same goes for coaches, staffs that you've been on in the league.
1: Besides Rex, besides.
0: Rex. Yeah, yeah. Me exclude. Well, well,
1: but I, I was just
2: gonna say it, it's <laughs> no. it's it's innumerable because I I mean, and, and this this sounds disingenuous, but it's not. I mean. Almost everyone I coached in my time in the NBA, I learned stuff from. I mean, seriously, I mean, you know, whether it was you running off screens and being able to balance up and get lift and be on, you know, I mean, and to watch guys work on that stuff again, I would say more that first year than any other time, because it was all so new to me. I mean, and, and look, I had coached two years as an assistant and a year as a head coach in the big 10. And we had Michael Finley Had yeah, Mike Finley. And, right. Yeah. And so I've been around good players, but not that number of good players in a right. gym. So Rex, my first thing in my, we had this rookie camp when Pat first came in. Right. And so we, I mean, these are guys who, you know, they're not on a roster and most of them aren't going to make it. You know, they're trying to get it. It's right two weeks before the start of camp They're trying to get like roster invites. There's 30 guys in the gym, the most talent I have ever been seen in at that point in my life in one gym that I've been a part of. And it's my first day and I'm all pumped up and we got this camp going on and I'm excited. Like, wow, these players are great. We go to lunch after at Shula's Steakhouse in Miami beach and we're sitting there and I go over with Scotty Robertson and as soon as Pat sits down, here I am thinking, man, the talent in that gym. Scotty looks at Pat and said, well, there's nobody here to complain <laughs> to me. And I just went like, oh, my God. And then we get to training camp, you know, and that's before we got Alonzo. But it's, you know, it's Glenn Rice. Yeah. You know, we had a – I mean, at that point, we weren't a real good NBA team. But it's yeah. the NBA, and I'm thinking – like, the best player I've coached up to that point is Michael Finley, and he was yeah. great. There's 15 of them out here right
0: yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, we ended up that year with Billy Owens and Walt Williams and, I mean, all kinds of talent. But well, right,
2: It was mind-blowing, and that's when I had no real firsthand knowledge of the NBA. I mean, I'd learned a lot about it coming in from my brother, um, but every player on those teams taught me things. And – You know, I've learned watching guys' footwork as they roll to the basket with big men. I've watched guys be able to hold a spot, you know, on the block.
0: I I wanted to ask you that. Do you you see the game? I I can only imagine you see the game from the vantage of a point guard. Yes. I mean, I see it from the way I played it. Did it take time for you to kind of – Imagine uh, what it's like playing your playing the game with the you back to the basket to, or to coach bigs. I mean, because that it seems like it might there might be a bit of a learning curve there. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know.
2: Well, he, here's the thing: is as, as I thought, you know, even in college, it, it, you know, there, at that time anyway, and and even still, I think more than the NBA, there was a lot of post play. So if you were going to coach, you had to coach that. And and I think, you know. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but you do have to learn to sort of teach everything mm-hmm. um, to some degree. The problem when you get even to the major college level, but especially to the NBA level, if especially early on, if I'm going to start saying stuff to big guys, especially they're looking at me like,
0: yeah, okay, yeah, right.
2: What are you talking <laughs> about? You know where. Even though everybody's a lot better player than you are. I mean, guards, wing guys, they'll at least listen to you. Yeah, right. These guys are looking at you like, what the? What? <laughs> you know, and we had Bob McAdoo, so Bob could do, yeah. do all of that stuff. They're looking at me like you don't know anything. So I'd like to think I, I could teach all that, but I was also smart enough to know early on that there was a credibility issue. Though I will say this. As far as that goes, I was really, really nervous before my first day of training camp. I mean, really, really nervous. Like, you know, I've been 14 years in college coaching and the whole thing, but everybody was so good. And now you got veteran guys. And right. you know, they're a lot smarter than the guys you coach in college. I don't mean yeah, I mean, natively, not a higher IQ. They just have more experience. Mm-hmm. And so I remember Pat saying to me, just... Stan, just do your thing. Just coach the way you've always coached. When they figure out, you know what you're talking about, they'll listen to you. And, And I have carried that with me. I've said it to people I've brought into coaching and things like that. And NBA players for sure will do that. And that's why I've never had any doubt that a competent female coach could go into the NBA and be fine because... I think she would have, in a lot of cases, an easier time coaching men in the NBA than coaching men in college because guys in the NBA are smarter. And what they'll figure out is she either knows what she's talking about or she doesn't. And once they know, hey, she knows what she's talking about, I don't think they care what color you are, what background you are, you know what gender you are or anything else, if you can help me with my game, if you can help my team win games, I'm all ears. And I, I, it started with that piece of advice from Pat, but I've watched it over the years, and I think it's really true. I mean, you know, you get a guy that's been in the NBA five, six, seven years and certainly beyond, I mean, they know. Like, you're not yeah. going to fool them, number one.
0: Right, at high BS uh, meter, you know. Oh. that you know, all the guys basically have a, have a a doctorate in basketball or football or whatever it is. And right away, very quickly, they can tell incompetence, right. Or, or bullshit. And pro athletes don't, don't put up with that very long or not quietly anyway.
2: (laughs) No, that's exactly right. And and I've always thought this and I've talked to other people about it too. and, And I certainly think you know, more and more, like, the relationship with players is is obviously paramount, the relationship you can have with your players. But I think if you really get down to it, and I've talked to a lot of guys, players, about this after I've coached them. At the end of the day, the relationship the players want most is a professional one, too. Can you help my game so that my career goes further i make more money and everything else the fact that i'm a nice guy really okay but that doesn't carry any yeah. any weight can you can you help me you know and i think that's what people miss when they're talking about player relationships yes you have to have a relationship and i think at some level players have to know that you give a damn about them as people but yeah. they really want you to give a damn about their career Like they're trying to make it. And whether it's a guy at the end who's trying to hang on, you know, for another couple of years or a guy looking to try to get a bigger contract or a rookie trying to make it coming in, they've got their goals. And they want to know you care about helping them toward those goals. That's the part of the relationship I think is most important. I think people, when they hear it, fans I'm talking about hear that about, player relationships think it's all about like going out to dinner with guys or going out, you know, to a club with guys. I mean, especially at my age, I don't know anybody who wants to hang out with me. Hell, most people (laughs) my own age don't want to hang out with me, let alone guys in their twenties and thirties. So it's a basketball relationship. I mean, I know you heard it. I don't know if you remember it, but Pat Riley used to say all the time, the player coach relationship is a business relationship designed to get a result. You know, he would always say, "Mickey hired us both and our jobs are to get a result for him. That's the relationship. That's what counts.
0: You know, I'm glad you brought that up. Pat, it reminded me of something that has always stayed with me. And it was that year we were playing. We were, you know, it was later in the year, but I was playing well. I was healthy, you know, uh, probably playing 38 minutes a night. You guys depended on me. And Pat played with my dad at Kentucky for a year. You know, they knew each other. They know each other. You know, Pat was my coach though. He didn't treat me any different than any of the other players, but also there we, I remember us getting off the bus in Minnesota and we had a big game coming up and, you know, Pat doesn't really hang with the players. I mean, that's not what he does. And so, I guess he felt the need to tell me something. He asked me to come on the elevator with him up to my, my floor. And he put his arm around me and he said, you know, I know I don't say much to you. He said, uh, I just want you to know that I don't, I don't say a lot to the, to the guys that I know are on top of what they're doing and are taking care of business. I try to spend more of my time with the guys that aren't. And, uh, I just want you to know that, uh, you know, that's the situation. And I, I couldn't appreciate it more. I, honestly, I kind of felt like I had gone from being a a, a pro who makes money to a professional. And kind of that Pat Riley acknowledged it to me, you know, uh, a guy who, you know, he coached the Knicks teams, he had coached the Lakers teams, and everybody knew knows how, you know, professional you have to Take it to play for Pat. But that's always stuck with me. I'm glad that you uh, you know, you brought me into that memory.
1: That's an interesting point. Like just as a leader and a communicator, which he's a master of, and most coaches that make it to that level are, but to be able to tell the not squeaky wheel, hey, I appreciate you. Yeah. And I'm over here oiling this wheel because it, it's got to keep us going. But I appreciate you. Because a lot of times that never happens and, and yeah. people you know, don't feel appreciated. And that's a mean a what a great communicator he is. And it stuck with you. Well,
2: Nobody. and I also think, right. Um, and I've always thought this, you know, even going back before I got to the NBA, but, but being around my dad and some of his friends growing up and stuff. I mean, I think there's a fine line on all that stuff too, because, you know, now it's sort of expected at a lot of levels. They want coaches who are just, positive all the time well i positive's good but i think you gotta know what it means and if i'm gonna come in the locker room after every game and tell you hey good job rex well it sort of starts to lose meaning because you play better sometimes than others but if i'm saying good job all the time well and and then also when you really have a good game now what do i Now what do I do? And I think with guys like Pat and probably your father and my father, the old school guys, like the one thing you knew, you would get more, far more criticism than you would praise. But when they praised you, they meant it and you did something good. They weren't just throwing out idle BS to make you feel good. It was damn, I love the way you competed tonight, you know, Yep. or i love the toughness you're showing and it meant something and i think now a lot of I'm times I mean, we're giving out verbal participation trophies after games you know like hey great job really you know? <laughs> and you know what a lot of times in the nba especially players know like what are you kidding me i sucked yeah you know i was three for 17 with seven turnovers you're gonna tell me good job I'm just happy I still have a job.
0: Exactly. Hey, how how uh I I we'll let you go here before long. Um, how uh, how freaky weird is it watching Zion from the sideline uh for seven months? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Um. That
0: wasn't I mean, that long. as a, as an athlete, have you seen? I mean. You've you've seen everybody up close in the last 35 years, 30 years. Who who do you compare him to athletically?
2: You know, there's just really, there's nobody like him. And I've heard the Barkley comparisons, but Barkley didn't handle the ball out on the perimeter the way he did. Um, you know, he, he plays a little bit like Giannis, but he's not nearly as tall and he's even stronger and more powerful. I mean, we probably throw the word unique around too much, but he's literally unique. I mean, there's no one like him. And it was both challenging and exhilarating coaching him and trying to figure out everything you could do yeah. to him. And, and the biggest disappointment for me in, in losing my job, um, quite honestly, there was not being able to continue on with him because You just start to scratch the surface of what he can do. And, you know, we started turning him more into a point guard than a power forward. And he's running pick and rolls, handling the ball. He's running pick and rolls, setting screens. Um, And he's a great kid and a competitor and the whole thing. I mean, man, he's just one of a kind. And so you can't, the hard part was you can't say, like, okay, so if it's if I've got a guy who's running off screens to shoot, like you, Reggie Miller guy, I got other people I can watch and get ideas as a coach. Okay, well let's do this. Let's run this. Yeah, Zion <laughs> on his own. That was fun because I'm like most coaches. I mean, there's nothing new, and there wasn't with him either. I mean, there's nothing new. You just steal from everybody else. Mm-hmm. But with him, you did have to be a little bit more creative because his his abilities demanded it. And man, it was, it was exciting. It was challenging. And, you know, the, the opportunity to, to play even a small role in the development of somebody like that, who's not only really talented, I've been around a lot of great players. Um And I had Dwayne Wade his rookie year mm-hmm. and stuff. And, you know, that was unbelievable, but, but he was a, you know, conventional let's say a conventional player just a great one zion's both great and totally unconventional just a different different guy and and where he can get to is i don't know like I, i really don't know what his ceiling is i mean i think watching him in the gym with fred vincent every day after practice i think he's got the ability to become a good shooter i don't mean just passable I mean, I think he can become a good shooter. And if he wow. does become a good shooter, That's just just, frightening. just forget it. Now, forget it. the challenge is going to be with all that power um, and jumping ability and all that explosiveness, it's hard to stay healthy because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like every time he hits the floor, yeah. he comes back down, he's coming down with force. Yeah. And so on his joints and and everything else, um, and that's going uh, to be a challenge. I mean, look, I, I used to say when Derrick Rose was going through those injuries, I yeah. was in Orlando, and, you know, his MVP year and stuff, and he got, he got two major injuries against us. I remember saying to our strength coach, like, the athletes are almost getting too good for <laughs> their own health. And we see it in baseball. Everybody yeah. goes 100 miles an hour now. And every single pitcher is going to undergo Tommy John surgery at some point They're They've surpassed. These guys are so athletic. They've surpassed the limits of their own bodies. And that's what I worry about with Zion. He's almost too athletic for his body to be able to deal with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You worry about
2: the limits
1: of the hue. And he's the number one people worry about not being able to see him play like Bo Jackson. You know, yes. just a freak of freaks and an anomaly. And I mean, forget about a hip. Every time he goes up, I'm afraid he's just going to explode. Just boom. Yeah. He, he, Combust. Flesh he everywhere. <laughs> he's so powerful. Did you ever see a moment because you see so many, but was there one that sticks out in a practice where you were like, what the hell? Right.
2: <laughs> you know what? Every single game. Every single game, wow. I, at some point in the game, I would just turn around to my assistants and go, oh, shit. Like, you know, and I've yes. done that a lot in the NBA sometimes. And
0: that's, but that's not easy to do. It doesn't happen every night in the NBA.
2: No, but with him, literally every night there was wow. one play where you would just go like, oh, shit. Like, how did he do that? Like, he'd take on the whole team going to the basket and – and the other thing is he's such a quick second jumper. So, you know, he, he shot over 60%, um, 27 points again game, the most points ever averaged. If he's only 20 years old, that's the most points ever averaged by anybody shooting over, 20, over 60%. Because usually those 60% guys are averaging 10, 12, because yeah. they don't yeah. shoot. A guy's averaging 27 at 60%. But when he did miss, what would happen is he'd drive the ball to the basket and somebody would try to go up vertically and he would hit him and they'd go back like 10 feet and so he'd miss and then he would tip in his own shot cuz that guy's like out of the play like
0: yeah. he's yeah. he's gone 1 for 2 there and lowered his percentage
2: that's exactly <laughs> i mean i mean the guy's played 85 games in his career i mean this was basically his rookie year and yeah. the thing that he was doing
0: was well, just, and like, and but you know he made a jump other guys lonzo ball made a jump I mean he and i don't know your relationship with lonzo all i know is i watched him started watching him years ago in high school out in la and his shot was as bad as shots can be coming in it was a, it was as bad as rajon rondo's was it was wor- it was way worse than jason's was coming in oh yeah um, and it's
1: not as bad as chuck hayes <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: came
1: around but chuck was one of my brother's favorite guys oh we love chuck he's a guy yeah he's a nothing but love but he walked on a free throw says alan Iverson.
0: yeah but that's right but lonzo lonzo the jump he made stan is uh amazing this past year i mean not only as a shooter but just his confidence he's a he's a he's a real pro at this point right
2: well and it's because he's a real pro rex like he really puts in the time
0: like and a good young man, I think. Right.
2: Fantastic. Fabulous. Yeah. Fabulous. I mean, as good a person as you can be <sighs> around. Good. And Fred Vinson is an unbelievable shooting coach and spent time with he and Brandon Ingram. And if you look at what's happened to both their percentages, and then he just started working with Zion a lot last year. And I mean, Fred's as good as I've seen. Wow. Um, and so look, I, I mean, One of the frustrating things for me getting fired is, um, you know, I mean, I I think virtually everybody that returned from the year before got better. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Everybody got better. um, And, you know, it wasn't enough. So it's frustrating. But but I'm fortunate I had the year I had with those guys, all really good people. And, um, yeah, Lonzo will go on and do good things because he really – he wants to be good he's coachable and he's accountable like Lonzo knows when Lonzo doesn't play well like which is what we're talking yeah. about you're not gonna come tell Lonzo good right. things. he knows like, yeah he'll just even when you don't say anything like he'll he'll walk by you at the end and go man my bad I suck tonight like and I think most NBA players know that stuff and some don't but most of them do and Lonzo's – uh really holds himself to a, uh, to a high standard.
0: That's great. Uh, I know we're going to, I know you're going back to TNT this year. You're going to do games this. I'm excited about that. Are you done coaching?
2: I would say most likely, you know, you never say never on anything, but you probably understand this as well as anybody having grown up in a uh, coaching household, but It's tough on the wives, especially, you know. And um, my wife, you know, made the move to Detroit, willingly enjoyed her time there. She made the move to New Orleans supportively, not as excitedly. (laughs) And now the way that went, um, you know, she has basically said, like, if you want to coach, coach, I'm just not going. I'm just not (laughs) going. I'm going to stay right here. And you go do your thing unless, unless what she wants me to do, if I want, if I get the coaching bug again is go coach overseas, like in Greece or Italy there you go. something like that. Then she's all in uh-huh. another NBA job. She's, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. But, you know, and a lot of coaches do it that way. You yeah. know, a lot of coaches do it that way and their wives stay in whatever their home bases. but that's not something I would ever do.
0: Yeah. I'm going to take that as a hard maybe.
2: Yeah, I would say, <laughs> quite honestly, I, I just don't know, you know, I've been, I've had four jobs in the NBA. I'm 62 years old. That's not the way coaching jobs are trending at this point. That's not who, who people are looking for. And this last one would hurt in that regard a lot too. I think that when, you know, just being fair, I, I think that, you know, reputationally, you know, you get fired in one year. Um, with some talented young guys and stuff, I, I don't think that it. Uh, I don't think it gave a huge boost to <clears throat> the uh, reputation, and you get labeled right as not being able to relate to today's player and everything else. And um, well, and that may be fair. I mean, maybe I, don't that's, that's I, don't fair. I don't think that's fair.
0: I don't think that's fair. I
2: mean, I don't know if it is or not. But but listen, at the end of the day coming from where I came from I mean oh
0: come on what a career what a life I mean man. You know,
2: that's what I'm saying I, I'm grateful I, I've had a lot of years as a as a head coach I don't know there's maybe 35 40 guys in the history of the NBA who've coached as I have you know and look when I got out of college I knew I wanted to coach and I thought man if I could just get a good division three job somewhere. I I was in school in Western New York and there was this private school in Utica, New York, Hamilton College. And the dude had winning year after winning year. And in the summer, he had a great camp and he made money. And I said, man, if I could ever get the Hamilton College job, like I'd have it made this journey. Like it just, I got lucky at so many places Uh and you have to have luck. I don't give a, damn what anybody says you have to get breaks i did and like if i mean it's It's been a a year it's yeah it's been enough and and now my thing is i've got a i've got a nice contract at tnt and i'm just gonna try not to get fired in one year (laughs) i am going to try to have me on again this year this time next year I still want to be employed. That's yeah. I'm hey, I'll tell you how bad it is, right? So I have an exhibition game next Tuesday, so the fifth, and then our first two games are the 19th and the 21st of October. Our first two regular season games with TNT. So I'll have done three games before I get to the one-year anniversary <laughs> of when I was hired in New Orleans. <laughs>
0: All right, Stan, we're going to let you get out. But first, uh, favorite movie? Shawshank
2: Redemption.
1: Yeah, well done.
0: I well mean, done. it's an
2: easy one, right? I mean, it's a, it's a gimme.
1: But Just that's watch the other night.
2: if you're flipping channels and it's on and it's always on, if you're flipping channels, you stop right there.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I remember the first time I saw Andy do <laughs> <laughs> uh, and right. uh, uh One of the last questions, front row, center. To see anyone in history, whether it be a musician or a speaker or sports, dead or alive, front row center, you get to sit there and take it in.
2: Well, I'd go to hear a speaker. That would be first thing. But who? I mean, man, I, I think that five people come to my mind. Right. I mean, Lincoln. Okay. Um, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, uh, John F. Kennedy, and uh, Barack Obama.
3: So
2: listen to them for for hours, any of them. And I, you know, you almost hate to come up with things like that because you know you're leaving out
0: yeah. right? sure. a yeah. bunch of
2: people. But I would do that before I'd go to watch uh, any event. I think yeah.
0: same.
1: If if it was a if it was a band or a singer or a group of from all time, what what about an entertainment? Like that, who would it be?
2: Well, I mean, the greatest singer of all time, Aretha Franklin. Um, <laughs> I got... Um, done. in, in done. So I had met her when I was in Miami. Um, we knew a security guard at one of the concerts who worked backstage. And so he came out and brought us backstage. I met her, got my picture taken and the whole thing. Um, but in 2016, we were at a fundraiser in Michigan for Hillary Clinton. And so, you know, it was a big dollar fundraiser and the guy comes by and he was the, the Pistons owned three concert venues there. And so the guy who ran their concert venue said, Hey man, I got a surprise for you tonight. He knew I loved Aretha. And Aretha was there. So you talk about front row center. I mean, we were in this dude's living room. I mean, I was 20 feet away. She was right there. And then we did a, Similar thing, so she would be my choice. But we did a uh, similar thing here at a fundraiser in Miami, where I was even closer. My wife and I were even closer to uh, John Legend. We were like oh, wow. feet away, and I mean, like, I'm, like when I get in those things too, I'm not even trying to act cool. Like I'm, I'm the fanboy. I mean, like <laughs> I am cool. too. I mean, like yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to act like, oh yeah, yeah, it's no big deal. No. <laughs> this is unbelievable. That's Aretha. That's Power Legend. Oh my God, they're right uh, there. Like, I'm great. not trying to be cool. So, Aretha, oh. and then my favorite band, if I had to go to a band, was Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, so,
0: oh yeah, unbelievable. Well done, well done, Stan. Thanks, buddy. Uh, come back and do it, and uh, we'll do it again uh, maybe year anniversary where you'll you'll still be oh, back God. at TMT.
2: <laughs> Sounds good. I hope I run into you this year.
0: We will. Thanks, buddy. Love you. Right,
2: Thanks, Coach. You, Josh.
0: Well, Josh, how about Stan?
1: Wow, he—he uh, he is uh, the best, right? He, what a positive guy. Stops everything, <laughs> all the, all the, you know, firings, whatever. He loves to laugh at himself. Take it in. Go. I mean, seems like a very mentally healthy person. We talked yeah. a lot about mental health. He seems like. He he can roll with the punches. Learn to do it early, you know, with his with his uh, father and and his uh,
0: his family seems cool. Too.
1: Oh <laughs> yeah, guess.
0: his wife's like, I'll go there, but not there. Mister. Yeah, no, brilliant guy, one of my favorites. Um, you know, you said so positive. That would not be probably the uh, adjective to describe him, um, or the word to describe him as reputationally as a coach probably not he he can be direct and hard but just like he said there and it reminds me of something my dad said growing up i came home one time com- complaining about my coach on my ass or something and my dad looked at me and said rex hard to be hard to become a great player if you can't take an ass you from time to time and i went Mm, okay well all right well and, and that's, <laughs> yeah but that's sort of stan's philosophy too and you know he said you know guys will not pros don't want to be told good game when they know they sucked they've known lonzo ball has known he sucked when he sucked immediately following every game from the time he was five because you know his dad was telling him right, right <laughs> you right. sucked today and so he knows pro the thing about pros and stan said it so perfectly is it's just like Josh, acting, it's any profession. You want to do it well, and you want to be led. You want to be coached and taught how to be better. You don't want to just, you know, stand pat. So I, I, what, a, what a great guy. I'm I I'm disappointed that, that he's not with the Pelicans. I thought it was a good fit. And Dave Griffin, uh, president GM, one of my good friends. Uh, basketball weird uh, world is a weird world. it is yes it is That's uh, a lot of fun, man. yes sir um well episode 26 that one's in the books we got another one coming up next week same time same place the rex chapman show with super cool josh hopkins on basketballnews.com powered by basketballnews.com please rate review and subscribe